Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning on a beautiful, balmy day, right, for us here in Minnesota. Uh, If you're streaming this morning, welcome as well to the family here at New Hope Community Church. We're glad that regardless if you're here physically or through streaming, we're glad that you're part of the family of New Hope. And so welcome here this morning. As you heard Justin say, we're into a new series called Mercy, and it's based on the life and the story of Jonah, and a story that some of us are very familiar with. We heard maybe growing up, or we were read the story too. And I find it always interesting that God seems to like give me an experience uh, every week before I speak on a particular topic or I start a new series. So this last week, I met a peer, fellow pastor, to talk about some business side of church life there, and we met at a restaurant for lunch, and we ordered in that, and the waitress was bringing his large iced tea to him when she accidentally caught the edge of our table, and the whole iced tea dumped with a bullseye right on my lap. The whole thing just right, zoom, right on my lap. I stood up quick. I'm like, ah! and that, and my whole bench I was sitting on was just full of water, and the ice cube floating back and forth, and that, and it took multiple towels to soak it up and clean it up, and that, and I was wiping off, and that, and I had, you know, ice coming out of my shirt and all that, and I was, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, you just caught me. You know, it was, I mean, it was Target, dead on, and that. And so my shirt was soaked, my pants were soaked, my underwear was soaked, I was soaked. It was, I mean, it was obvious. And I mean, we just were on the front end of this meeting, and she's like, oh man, I hope you live close. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, I got a meeting like right after this meeting. And I'm thinking, what? So I had a decision to make at that moment and how I was going to react to this waitress, right? When that occurred. And in reality, it wasn't like I had time to react to this situation and stand up and say, okay, now, how do I want to react to this situation or to this person, right? No. If something occurs such as that, your reaction is instantaneously. It's boom, right? So in reality, whatever is in you is going to come out of you. Whatever is in you as a person is going to automatically come out of you towards that person. And so obviously, there were two reactions that could come out of me. One being, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Oh, you pots. I mean, where's the manager? Unbelievable. Oh, Jesus, ruined my day. What am I supposed to do? Right? Could have done that, right? Could have done that. You know, I'm not going to tell you which one I did, you know, what I did, but no, I'm just kidding. But my reaction, thank God, and it's only because of the work that he's done in my life over many years, is like, hey, don't worry about it. It was no big deal. It's fine. That's right. Let's clean it up, dry it off a little bit. That's all right. It's okay. It's okay. And I remember coming back with the, the, you know, the check and the bill, and she's like, I'm paying for this. I'm, I just feel so bad. I'm paying for this. And I'm like, hey, listen, 
you're normal. You're normal. It's, it's life. It happens. And I remember going over to pay, and <laughs> this is just always how God is. And he's like, hey, I want you to give her a $10 tip. And I'm like, well, hey, it was just like the two of us. I and mean, I had the salad bar, you know. And he's like, yeah, I want you to give her a $10 tip. And I was figuring it out in my head in that it was three times what you would tip a person. And God, we know in Scripture, loves the number three <laughs> and that. But I think what he was saying is, Bill, I have called you to live in the dark. No, I just, just, just <laughs> no. I have called you, in reality, I've called you out of darkness into light. Okay, we'll go with that one. And the reality is, I have called you, Bill, to live like me, to follow me. And I've called you to a life of mercy. In the Old Testament, where the book of Jonah is located, there are three Hebrew words God uses for mercy. The first one is chesed, which means loving kindness. The second one is rakamim, which literally means bowels. Like, yeah, like our bowels. It's like, ah, that's gross, you know. But in that culture, if you were, you know, sympathetic or whatever, it would come from your innermost being of your body. And the bowels is our innermost being. And God is that, saying, hey, from your innermost being, be sympathetic towards others. The third word is chanan, which is to be gracious, to extend grace to another. You know, ultimately, mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power. It's within maybe our power to punish or harm them. And so when that waitress dumped the large iced tea on my lap, I could have had the right to berate her, to get in her grill and demean her, to get angry at her. Yeah, to require her to pay for our lunches. If any of you have ever, none of you probably have, but I'm just talking about personal experience. Have you ever been pulled over for a traffic violation? Whether speeding or maybe you just rolled the stop sign a little bit or whatever, and you've been pulled over. And if you have received a warning instead of a ticket, that is a picture and an experience of mercy in your life. Because you deserved the ticket, but yet you received the warning. And so over the next four weeks, as we dive in deeper into this story of Jonah, we are going to be challenged with the whole practice of mercy in our lives. You know, most of us have heard this story of Jonah and the whale, and some people say the moral of the story is you can't keep a good man down. You know, 
Ha ha, he didn't get it, you know, fish spits him up, you know, couldn't keep him down. All right, anyways. But the bigger moral of the story is how we are supposed to live a life of mercy, how we are supposed to extend mercy to others. Now, on the front end of this series, I want to wrestle through one thing right away, because oftentimes when people hear of the story of John, okay, well, is it really true? I mean, <laughs> I mean, is it really true that, like, God sent this big fish who could actually swallow a man, three days later, spit him up on shore? Really? <laughs> I mean, because if it isn't true, why even waste time on it? But I want to, first of all, look at the fact of Jonah. And I want to start by just looking at, at the fact of creation. Okay? So we see in Genesis chapter 1-1, at the beginning of God's Bible, that it says he created the heavens and the earth, that he created the sky, he created the seas, he put out the boundaries for land, and then he created all the living creatures that were going to be on the earth, and then also the living creatures in the waters. Genesis 1.21, God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it. Now, if we question, man, could God have a fish big enough to swallow Jonah and live in it for three days? All we need to do if we're questioning his ability and his creation is to remember back to this last week when we were shoveling snow like every day. God decided to blanket the state of Minnesota and most of the Midwest with inches of snow. Man cannot do that. God willed that and it took place. That's incredible. This last fall, I remember like three days of like straight rain, water tables up, wondering if our basement was gonna flood. And I kept thinking to myself, yeah, you know what? If this kept on for 40 days and 40 nights, I can see how we could be underwater here. I mean, really, God can do these things. We read early on, which we'll read in a moment, in chapter one of Jonah, that God controlled the sea. That God, at the end of chapter one, controlled the fish. And so even just looking at creation, we can say, hey, yeah, God could do this. What's interesting as I was looking into this is that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has estimated that 95% of the ocean has been unexplored and is unexplorable. And 99% of the ocean floor we have not explored. 95%, 99%. What does that mean? It means that when you go swimming in the ocean, you have zero clue what 95% of everything else in the ocean is with you. You do not know. We don't know. The greatest explorers or scientists have zero clue. It's unexplorable. The deepest part of the ocean is seven miles deep. That's from this campus down to our Isani campus. Seven miles deep. They're clueless what's there. And so who's to say that maybe there is a fish a mile long there or somewhere in the 95% of the ocean where we are clueless what's there? 
right? So this whole idea of questioning God's creation and what can God do, just keep shoveling. Secondly, this whole idea of a whale, right? We recognize that obviously there was a portion of this story that, hey, there's a miracle that took place here. But the circumstances even beyond a miracle in the realm of just the natural world, we need to look at history and recognize that it is possible. All we need to do is look back in history to 1891. A seaman, James Bartley, was swallowed by a large sperm whale near the Falkland Islands. After 15 hours in the fish, they caught it, ripped it open, and he was unconscious, but he was still alive. His skin brutalized, and he was blind, but he was living. And so just the natural opportunity, yes, this could happen. But what's interesting as well is when Jesus showed up as God in the flesh on the scene, and he's talking to the religious leaders of his time, he refers back to Jonah and his story as a historical event. In Matthew 12, 38, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's foretelling his crucifixion and his burial and resurrection after three days. He says the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. And that was him. Hey, I'm here. And so Jesus refers to Jonah, his story, as historical fact, as he is teaching the religious leaders, reacting to them at that time. And so as we walk through this series... We can walk through this series recognizing that what God is going to challenge us in the idea of mercy in our lives comes out of a true story, the life of Jonah. And so with this, let's look at the life of Jonah this morning, start into it. But here's my main question for you. What is the measure of mercy that you have towards others. What is your or our measure of mercy towards others around us? What does that look like? Let me read to you the first part of Jonah. We're just going to read chapter one. Jonah is called a minor prophet. The only reason he's called a minor prophet is because his story is short. So they call him a minor prophet. It's three chapter, four chapters long, but only 47 verses long, as opposed to like the book of Jeremiah or the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament was like 40 chapters long. And so this is what it says in the story of Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, 
go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such violent storm arose that the ship threatened to be broken up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw over cargo into the sea to lighten up the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you from? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry ground. All right, that's where it's coming from. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do? to you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up, throw me over into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. You see, they're recognizing, hey, God's in control here. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As we read the front end of this story of Jonah, we recognize, secondly, beyond the fact of Jonah and that the story is true, we realize the friction of Jonah that he has with God. Friction is this, the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another, right? Conflict or animosity, caused by the clash of wills, temperaments, or opinions. And as we read this story early on, there is friction between Jonah's will and God's will. What Jonah wants and what God wants. If we back it up, the prophet Jonah lived in a Galilean city of Gath-Hepper. It was just four miles north of Nazareth, where Jesus would end up growing up when he came on the scene. During Jonah's life, Jeroboam II was king and reigned over Israel. He had incredible power, influence. He extended the property lines of Israel, 
and had as great an influence as that of David and Solomon when they reigned over Israel. Assyria, however, was 500 miles to the east of Israel. And Syria, Assyria was a constant threat to Israel, to their security, to their comfort, to their well-being. During this time, Jonah, the prophet, had two contemporaries, two other fellow prophets, Hosea and Amos, who prophesied against Israel, telling them that God is going to use the Assyrians to punish you because you have turned from God and your heart has become hard towards him. And you are not living as God has called you to live. And so when Jonah gets this assignment from God, go to the Assyrians. Bring judgment upon them. As a patriarchal Israelite, the last people he wants to go to is the Assyrians. Why? Because he loathes them. He wants to see them just destroyed. And in his mind, he says, if I go there, there may be even a slight percentage, chance, that they might like actually repent of their sin, turn to God, and he would forgive them. And that is the last thing I want them to do. The last thing I want them to do. Period. And so Jonah is challenged. God says, go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria. It's in the heart. He's not just, hey, just go to the edge to some small village. But go to the heart, the capital city, and bring judgment on these people. And Jonah's heart was the same heart that all the other countries around Assyria had. Because Assyria were the worst nation on the planet. They were, I guess, like the cartel today. They were ruthless. There's a couple books after this in the Minor Prophets. The book of Nahum, who is a prophet who is writing an oracle on the destruction of the Assyrians because of their ruthlessness. And this is why. This is what Nineveh was like. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. At the end of his oracle, prophecy about Assyria and them being judged and being wiped out, at the very last verse of the book, it gives the response of all the other nations around Assyria who have been tormented by them. It says, all who hear the news about you, Assyria, clap their hands at your fall, at your destruction. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? And so here God is calling Jonah to the most ruthless, blood-spilling 
cruel people that have threatened, that have enslaved in the past the nation of Israel. And he's saying, go and bring judgment upon them. But Jonah knows God. And he knows that, yeah, God is a God of judgment. But God also is a God of mercy. And if I go, there may be just this ounce, this, this little fraction that they might actually repent. And he forgives them. And I will have none of that. That's why we read in Jonah 1.3 right away after he was spoken to verbally, audibly by God. Go to Nineveh. Where does he go? The other direction. Jonah went to Joppa where he boarded a ship bound for Tarshish, which was a Phoenician colony that was just south on the southwest coast of Spain. And it wasn't a place where, hey, I'm just going to like get away and go to Dalbo from God in this assignment, right? I mean, this was 2,000 miles away. Jonah was saying, I am going to get as far away from this assignment or what God wants me to do as I can. Man, I'm going from Cambridge to the Everglades of Florida. I'm going from Cambridge all the way to San Francisco, as far away as I can from what God wants me to do. And my question to you this morning is, when it comes to mercy in our lives, how far, far away do we want to go? Because we know that there are people in our lives, if we're honest, that we loathe. And maybe not individuals, but people groups that we just loathe. Like Jonah loathed the Syrians. But yet, what we are going to learn through our journey through the life of Jonah is we are going to see the focus of God. And that when Jesus shows up on the scene and lives his life, we see Paul writing about it in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. For us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You have been saved. And so God extends this incredible mercy to us. And he is calling us now to extend it to those that we loathe. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they will show mercy. And he's saying, hey, listen, you have been shown mercy, need to extend mercy to others. And so when you came in here this morning, there was a heart sitting on your chair. And last week we celebrated Valentine's Day. It was a, a day to remember that we should be a people of love, right? But God moves us beyond just the people actually that we love <laughs> to the people we loathe. And he says, I'm calling you to love them and to extend mercy.
And so on that note, I want you to write a person or a people group that you loathe, that you honestly would love to see just annihilated, and you'd be just fine with that. Maybe you have to write your name on there because you've been super hard on yourself and you don't extend mercy to you. Maybe it's an ex-spouse or ex-friend. Maybe it's a people group like the Islamic extremists or a country like North Korea or Iraq or maybe Russia. Maybe it's a particular political leader. Maybe it's abortion doctors. Maybe someone who has hurt you physically or verbally or sexually. Maybe it's the LGBT community. Maybe it's illegal immigrants that we hear so much about. Maybe it's sex traffickers or those who use children for sex and keep the other ones in business. Maybe it's just people of color who have a different color than you. Who is it you loathe and would just have no problem putting your head on the pillow tonight if they were annihilated? And I want you to write that on that heart. And then after we sing our last song, I want you to go straight out these doors, straight over to the window, and I want you to put it on the window underneath this title I have over there. We have God's heart of mercy for. We have God's heart of mercy for. All these people. Not that we've arrived and not like, like, oh yeah, automatically I love these people and I am glad they're here. No, we're not there. We're not there yet. But that's where God wants us to get to. That's where he wanted to get Jonah. And we're going to see that through this series. So write down who is it you loathe that you would love to see disappear. Let's pray. Father God, have you, has, you have extended us mercy. May we extend others mercy. May we be honest. And I pray that we as a people would be open to your work in us through this series. In your holy name, amen.